Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Ann and I have been friends for a very long time. We met right after college. Yeah, and our first jobs as radio producers. We spent our 20s as wing women for each other, and it didn't work out very well. But then it did. And we found the right guys and stood up in each other's weddings. And then we had babies within weeks of each other. So we went from producers to reproducers. We make it look easy. Which brings us to this podcast. We want to discuss topics that interest us and you and provide some knowledge to other average parents. We're average, not experts. So we'll tackle these topics with people who know what they're doing. Yeah, we'll get the experts. And I fully expect to embarrass myself along the way. Yeah, after season one, I'm pretty sure we already have. So welcome to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good. When everybody sees it, they stop and take a look. Apparently, our kids live with a lot more anxiety than we ever had, and it's starting when they're really young. Yeah. So this topic hit home for me uh, this week because um, my kids went back to school, and um, as I dropped off the girls, it was like a wave of excitement and almost panic. It's palpable. It is, because I was thinking, you know, walking into the unknown... They've been to the school before, but, you know, different grades, different rooms. Who do I sit with at lunch? Who's going to play with me at recess? Um, Are people going to judge what I packed in my lunch? Um, You know, what am I wearing today? Am I I weird? You know, all the things that um, I, I seriously was like gripping the steering wheel thinking, how can they go in there? And of course, wanting to go in there for them, but you know. Well, I'm a week late, week sooner than you, yep. and uh, the same same things as a mom happened for me, and uh, it's palpable in my house. The anxiousness of like, because you know, in junior high you get a schedule, so your class you're moving classrooms all day long, every forty minutes you're moving, and you have no like you can text your friends like are you which french class are you in or whatever but generally speaking it's not until you the bell rings and you walk in the classroom door that you're seeing who's in your classroom so there's a wee bit of like unknown change all that stuff wrapped into and you got to hold it all together and, during the day and we talk about this all the time we don't want to be helicopters we don't want to be snow plows or lawn mowers that's oh, kind of too late for me <laughs> <laughs> but when you love your kids as much as you love your kids you would do anything to keep them from feeling pain, um, even though we know that pain is good for them because it teaches them. We know that failure is really education. We've, you know, we've done all these lessons, but right. um, it's still hard. I, I, like, I'm getting a little weepy thinking about what might, what they might encounter that I can't protect them from. Correct. So, you are. I am. <laughs> I know. Um, all right. So we've talked about this before, too. Our kids don't get to leave school behind when they leave school, right? They are yes. they are constantly connected if we let them be. I mean, I know we make them put phones away at night, but um, there's a lot of pressure. You know, the, the whole new ball game. Out. Yeah, yep. exactly. So a new book explains what they're facing. Dr. John Duffy has been on the podcast before. Uh, he wrote The Available Parent, Expert Advice for Raising Successful and Resilient Teens and Tweens. And he's talked to us about stories we tell as part of our traditions. Uh, remember we were talking about, we did an episode on Santa and the Easter Bunny and Elf on the Shelf. Yeah, Santa had a cigarette, if I recall correctly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> 
<laughs> so now Dr. John Duffy has got a new book. It's called Parenting the New Teen in the Age of Anxiety. John, welcome back. Thanks for having me, guys. It's great to be back. You can tell. Is it is it palpable in the room right now? Like that we're anxious. We also are anxious for our kids. A hundred percent. It really is. And I, I think you know what you're both reflecting is what so many of us feel is we know that our kids' world is more anxious than ours was, and we desperately want to protect them from as much of it as we can. We want to be buffers and cushions. And I think some of us feel a little bit helpless in that. I don't know if I can do that to the extent that he or she might need me to, you know? And so there is this kind of like for from a parent's point of view, we're anxious. We're worried too. So our kids are anxious and we're anxious and it makes for uh, an upset house an awful lot of the time. I'd be lying if I didn't say that they're the two days before school once we got the schedules because in junior high, you get your schedule two days beforehand right. and you get to move into your locker and stuff. I think I woke up in the middle of the night a little bit once or twice and then I couldn't fall back asleep because I was like going through their day for them in my mind and I've already done school. <laughs> right. Right. And so uh, I should be able to be like, okay, it's, it's not, it's their school time, but it's really impossible. I, I think we're way more active as parents. Like I would imagine that if we could go back in time and interview your parents when you were in seventh grade. I don't know if they were worried. <laughs> they were they probably weren't. They were probably like, Yeah, hey, you'll be fine. Yeah, you know, you whatever, rub some dirt on it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And it, it, I don't know, I don't have a locker, you have a locker, you go figure it out, right? Yeah. Um but we're involved and um and, and I think we need to be to some extent, um, uh, more so than our parents were because our kids are just exposed to so much more data and influence and anxiety. Well, you start the book talking about a 16-year-old named Jason uh, who appears to have it all um, and yet doesn't. So, um, And what I liked about it was, you know, Jason seems like a great kid, but who also ends up doing drugs and has some suicidal ideation. And immediately you go to reactions from parents are like, his parents are doing something wrong. Why aren't they doing it? And because we don't know what we're doing wrong or what we're doing right yet, because we have no idea what these kids are anymore, right? Right, right. So, you know, um, I, I'm very reluctant to judge any parent for virtually anything, because I think you can do an exemplary job, and your kids can still fall into some of the traps. There's just too many of them. Social media is a big trap. Vaping and juuling. And, you know, I was talking to a boy last night, and he was talking about – we were talking about juuling. It was kind of in preparation for talking to the two of you, to be honest. <laughs> okay. Um, but I gather data from kids a lot. And he said – and he had a jewel with him and he said, but you have to admit it's pretty cool, right? Like it looks cool. So there's the, there are these elements coming into their lives that we didn't know were coming, right? This, we didn't get warnings about these things. And yet there it is. There's this cool thing. And I can't deny, oh, yeah, if I were 16, I'd probably be drawn to that just like I'd be drawn to the phone and I'd be drawn to social media and all this stuff our kids are tempted with all the time. Not all of them – evil necessarily, but we definitely want to titrate the dosage that they take in, right. you know, as best we can. In um, in your book, you reference um, something about the new teen. How are teenagers different today than the ones yesterday, other than the actual social society things like the phones and that sort of stuff? Yeah. Um, well, as an artifact of all that, um, the new teen tends to start not at 12 or 13, but at right. 8 or 9. You know, and this is... This so is, sad. 
God. It's brutal. Childhood is I, gone. <laughs> you talk this, about tweens are gone now. We don't have yes, tweens, right? Yeah, we, um, what? So I, I thought we had tweens. Yeah, we all thought we had tweens. But the more I thought about it, and I, I've talked to a lot of people about it and thought about like how it plays out in my practice. And I think 10 years ago, when I wrote my first book, I loved the tween years because I felt like, oh, this is a nice little cushion between- Sweet spot. The, it, right. The innocence of childhood and then adolescence, which is a little more harsh, right? And 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 now I think we get this hard stop, right? Where you know your eight year old stumbles onto something Pornhub or something horrible, right? right? Oh, we did an episode on porn. <laughs> did yeah. you really? Yes. Yes, and that is that that is an easy stumble to make. You know what I mean for the most in, innocent, innocuous child, and then suddenly you're in this whole different world that is, you know, it's not the right thing, but it's tantalizing in some way, and so you you might venture down that road and be exposed to things that you are developmentally not remotely prepared for. And so that's part of it, the new the new tween. Part of it's on the back end too, because there's the challenges we have in adolescence, right? We're going to develop a sense of self separate and apart from mom and dad. We're going to become more competent and resilient and have some idea where we're heading in life. And now I have a 23-year-old and I know a lot of kids right, right around George's age, a lot of these kids aren't sure. They're very much in adolescence and figuring out like, who am I and what kind of contribution could I possibly make? And will I ever be able to do what my parents are doing? So adolescence is extended. So I was going to put on the cover of the book, ages eight to 24, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, because this, this, because that's what we're looking at in terms of adolescence now. I think it's much broader than it used to be. So that's a big part of what the new teen means. That's really sad. I know. So um, you suggest parents listen to their kids and keep track of their self-conscious language. Well, I I didn't understand what that meant. <laughs> yeah. Self-conscious um, language. Like, right. I mean, like when I'm trying on a suit and I'm like non-verbally saying, wow, I hate putting on a bathing suit like that. Yes. Yes. I mean, kind of precisely like that. So a lot of kids will say, oh, my God, I, I blew this test I hate myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and that language might be like, you know, an eye roll, like, you know, no, you don't really. Or, you know, um, I, I, I had a boy in my office recently who said, I'm so fat, I can't stand the way I look. I can't stand the way I am physically. And 10 years ago, I think I would have said, that's somewhat hyperbolic. We can let that go to some great extent. Now, when you drill down just a little bit with kids, you find they absolutely mean that an awful lot of the time. So their self-conscious language is some, uh, there's an awful lot of poor self-worth and self-esteem among kids in part because there's so many comparison points to other kids, right? So what we had in school, like, you know, oh, he or she seems way popular, way more popular than I or better looking or more involved or more athletic or smarter or whatever. Now – there's this whole other layer of he or she got more likes on that Instagram picture or I can see on Snapchat that they're at this party and they're having a blast and here I am sitting in my basement playing Fortnite, you know? Um, and believe me, we'll, we'll get the good news, but it, I think it's important to look at the realities of what kids are up against these days in order to get to the good news. Do you think that even if if, if you take parents out of the equation um, – this is kind of off the cuff a little bit, but um, I feel like parents are always trying to like grow up their kids faster. Like they're always in a rush to like my kid's four and he's reading Harry Potter or, or like that. I'm reading Harry Potter to them. I feel like if you give kids the world early, what do they have to look forward to? Is right. that is this all 
is this all self-imposed by parents? Do you think, or do you think society in general? I th- is no, part I, of it? I both, but I think I think we do make a contribution. So what we have agency over as parents is not the societal part, right? We can't control whether our kids have the internet because right. we could say so, I'm taking the internet from you, that ship but they sailed. will find it somewhere else, right? right. Um, but we can control what we present, and we can say, you know what, you don't have to be everything right now. Let's let's pick something. You know what I mean? Let's pick some road that you want to go down. But you don't have to. We don't have to sit down when you're four years old and read Harry Potter because we have Princeton 15 years down the road to look forward to. You know what I mean? Right. We don't have to have that scope. We can, And we're anxious, so we're worried. And sometimes the ultimate worry is, are they going to make it? Are they going to be okay? Are they going to be on the couch in the basement when they're 30? Or will they be fully employed and happy? And um, and there's so much ground in between there. So my press for parents is typically like, there's enough anxiety in the house. We can relax a little bit, you know, knowing like, by and large, for most kids, things work out perfectly fine. Are there ups and downs in every life? Yes. Kids yes. learn from that stuff. Right. But by and large perfectly fine. I think we bring a lot of that to the table, not just from ego and wanting to get the... Keeping the right. up with the Joneses. There's a lot of that, right? There's a lot of the, I want the bumper sticker on the car and mm-hmm. be normal and don't know purple hair and yeah. join the right thing, you know, with right. the cool parents, right? Because I want to hang out with them on the sidelines. Um, but there's, there's also this anxiety about, will you be okay when you're an adult? And I think we can trust that if we Pay attention to our kids and their inclinations, they'll figure it out. We don't have to figure it out for them. And I think we've kind of taken over that role and kids can't hear their own voices and what they're drawn to. And that's what I want kids to be able to hear more often. Well, it's cycling up. We're driving the anxiety up in them so no one's going to get better. Exactly. Now, the millennials have been criticized for being special snowflakes and needing safe spaces. You talk about this. Um, you say maybe that's not such a bad thing that our kids, some millennials, some Gen Z kids, yeah. um, have tremendous empathy. Yeah. Um, is that good or bad? I, um, I'm i going to argue, and, and, and I'm open to discussion here, uh, that by and large, that is a good thing, right? You know, so one of the good by- byproducts of being exposed to the world young, which our kids undeniably are, right, um, is – that they have this worldview, and so, and, and I mean a worldview. Like they will tell you at the end of the day the news of the day because even your nine-year-old knows if something happened in Puerto Rico. You but know, what Amazon I mean? they, is burning. Or yes, Dorian exactly. Is, yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. And kids are sometimes. Um, I, I was talking to Heidi Stevens earlier today, and she said um, she'll sometimes come to her daughter who's fourteen with news, and her daughter will already know the news. And she's like, "Oh, this is a spoiler. I'm a reporter. I should be able to tell you what's going on." <laughs> Right. You know, um, so that's the news cycle yes. for you. So the good news is that our kids develop some empathy and some sense of mission. Like I want to do something about that. I want to get involved in that. Or I, I wish we could collectively do something about that. Um, so I would argue the sense of empathy is the positive byproduct. I think it can be overwhelming for very young kids to feel. To know what's going on in parts of the world where horrible things are going on, and some of them are here and some of them are are overseas, Um, but they do have that empathy. It's there. They care about what's going on out there, and I think that's kind of cool. It's like working with kids. It's kind of striking to hear somebody who you expect to be developmentally self-involved suddenly branch out and say, you know, yeah, but relative to kids in other parts of the world – 
I have nothing to complain about. And it's like, wow, that's wow, that's some right. That's aware. It's that's also perspective. it's overwhelming though too. Yeah. I know in in terms of my kids, um, their school talks about upstanding and that you should stand up for the people around you, which I think is great. Yeah. But you know, I have one daughter who will find the kid who is the most downtrodden and and ally herself, right? But then she's taking that home with her too and she's like what am i going to do you know right. what is she going to get and it's just a lot to take on when you're 10 so hard you know so i i totally i like i like upstanding upstanding that's, that's upstanding. the name of the program right i love that um i do think that sometimes in uh, with kids who are super empathic like your daughter apparently is um it can be overwhelming i i usually tell kids who feel responsible for the well-being of other kids um I went to grad school for five years and I'm still figuring this out. <laughs> and Good you point. are, you know, you're, you're 12, you know, like, so I don't expect you to be able to do this really, really well. So if you feel over your skis, let an adult know or something, you know, but Kids, kids are really good therapists for each other. Um, I love that they want to come through for one another, you know, because, um, you know, a generation ago, we were kind of bullying, not even considering consequences. Now that is not tolerated very well among a younger generation, you know, quite the contrary, you know, like if somebody's having a hard time, I'm going to go out and I'm going to reach out to them. And kids actually, as opposed to just having a program named after it, kids on it, which is unbelievable if you think about it. Really impressive. That's great news. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So I, this is a dreaded topic always and something I feel like I'm a broken record all the time talking about social media, but could you ping the, the amping up of anxiety on social media? Yeah, and the content extent. connection. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think there's one factor that plays into you know the, this uptick in anxiety. But it's but up there. Is it social up there? media is probably number one. You know what I mean? Like, there, there's no doubt that if we're looking at because I've seen changes in kids fast, more anxiety, more depression, more suicidal ideation. This has happened in the last five years, ten at the long end, but really the last five. So this, and I can pin that down to this is the first generation that didn't know what it was like to be off the grid. They never knew what it was like not to have social media. So imagine that. Imagine like, you know, when we were kids, when you leave school or you leave the party, you're off the grid. You're good. You're you can done. you can you can regress a little, you can go home, you can snuggle with your parents. Yeah. Nobody's recording anything there. Now there's this press like, mm, I better check Snapchat one more time before I go to bed in case I'm missing something important, right? And you can do that silently in your room. You know, well, and you you mentioned a snap streak, and I did not know what a snap streak is. Um, but if we take away the social media devices, we are adding anxiety because these kids feel the need to keep up streaks. Yes, because it's part of their brand. Yep. Yeah. So so a snap streak for people who aren't familiar is just a Snapchat between two kids that happens daily, and a streak is how many days have we snapped back in a row in a row. Right. In a row. And, um, and if you break the streak one time. It goes down to zero. Down to zero. And I learned over the weekend from a, a very savvy 14-year-old boy. He was telling me, oh, I have a snap streak, but there's a best friend emoji you can atap- attach to the streak. And I didn't attach the emoji one day. 
and he won't talk to me anymore. What? So the streak ended? So the streak ended. Not only did the streak ended, but as far as he knows, the friendship ended. You know what I mean? That's how important this stuff is. It, as insane. It and seems re- insane to us. Right. It is their, it's their world. It is their world, right? So, you know, and, and we can't blame them. They didn't, you know, th- this boy didn't come up with Snapchat and decide this was how it was going to go. This is, makes me so furious because <laughs> software companies... Literally, I listened to. I've read so many articles about this. That that is their job is to hook you, and they did that snap streak on purpose. Oh, are you kidding? They it's a it. casino, of course. It's a it's a self esteem casino. It's yes. a nightmare. Absolutely, it makes it pisses me off. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't let my I don't let my daughter have a Snapchat. So I'm I'm a mean mom for that reason. But the longer you can you can stay away from that, I think the better. Really, I mean, I think that if you can gain, but it's some- hard because everybody else lets them do it. Yeah. Like my daughter has, I let her have Instagram, and I can see. I I watch it, and at the beginning, in the summertime, when everyone's posting stuff, I go on her. I check it all the time. Sure. I follow her, and I'm looking at it. And I'm 48, and I, I just had this conversation with her the other day. I said, "Listen, you've been on it for a while. Do you do you still are you are you jiggy with it? You like is this okay? <laughs> are you jiggy with are, it? Are you good? <laughs> are you good? Like do you, do you think that this is okay for you? Because I'm old enough that I can handle when I'm on Facebook or something and I see that people like other people went out and I'm like, oh, I didn't know they went out. And half the time I'm like, oh, whatever. I didn't, whatever. I don't really care. But I don't think, I don't think a 13 year old can handle that. I, I personally do not believe that they can handle and know that, you know what, who gives a crap that I didn't go out and didn't go do this at Great America or whatever that day. I wanted to stay home and what do I care, right? You know, like we don't, at 13, we don't have that wherewithal. I love the question. Not necessarily, are you jiggy with it? But I kind of like it. <laughs> <laughs> but the just, just checking in and saying, are you cool with this? Like, does this work for you or is this awful? Because if it's awful, we can just take the app off your phone for a couple of months and revisit that. And I've had a couple of kids take me up on that. Like, yeah, you know what? This is super stressful. And if I could take a little vacation from it, that might be good. I you know? uh, One of my daughter's friends actually was on um, Snapchat, Instagram, all that stuff. And she came to, and the, I was talking to the mom and she's like, I, she came to her own conclusion that she just didn't feel good yeah. with it anymore. And she did it herself. It wasn't like the mom says, that's it. I'm taking it away. I'm getting it off your phone. The girl made the decision herself. And I was like, that's really awesome. That's really impressive too. I mean, that takes a lot of fortitude to be able to say, I know that this is going to be happening without me, but I'm going to step away anyway because I recognize this isn't good for my well-being. I mean, think about 13 years old. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's impressive. Well, you talk a little bit about the upside of social media. And um, there's one kid who told you um, how much more this generation reads yes. than our generation did. Yeah. Um, and then you also talked about if you follow your kids, like Tracy does, um, you do too. I do. I know, but I was I was I was, thro- I, was I was throwing you like a compliment oh, okay, here because okay. you might see that your kid is a really good photographer and you had no idea, or you might see that your kid. You know, sometimes they're posting songs or that they play. You, you you might find you might get to know your kid a little bit better. Yep. Without doing the inquisition that we always talk about. Yeah. And making the presumption that, you know, like, this is just vanity or a waste of time. You know, most kids are curating their feeds, you know. And so, like, um, I saw a a 17-year-old girl's feed over the weekend, um, daughter of a friend of mine. And um, and her feed is gorgeous. It's beautiful. And and what she does is she retools um, uh, secondhand clothes. And then she kind of makes them like fashion ready, like street fashion ready, which is 
is the coolest project. Wow. But if you looked at it cold and you didn't know anything about it, you might think, oh, she's just, you know, putting up the selfies because she wants to look, she wants to look good for mm-hmm. other people. But really, it, she's trying to brand herself, you know, and, but it's, and it's a really, really positive thing. It's really kind of cool. That's, that's, Okay, I can see. So this stuff can be used for good, and a lot of kids. The the other thing, I'm not sure I mentioned the book or if I've edited it out, but a lot of kids in the vein that your um, daughter helps out other kids, there is this kind of community of kids that is helping each other through anxiety and depression. Hey, you're not alone. You know, um, I have ADHD too. It's really hard to get through math classes, and they support each other. I don't love the kids who are in that position, but it is amazing to me that they want to be. Because they, they, that, that, that opinion matters more. If I were saying, you know, you're doing a great job, they'd be like, who, who cares, mom? Way but more but, than but when one right. of their peers says it, it's like the world. Yeah, the world, the world. And, and if it gets 50,000 likes, you know what I mean? Then it's even better. Like, you know, oh, there's all these people who feel this way. I'm not alone. You kind of touched on this, or we're heading that way, I think, a little bit. But one of the teens you talked about in the book referenced identity traffic. Yeah. Is that exactly how I would think it is, identity traffic? Like your brand? Um, or having yes. more than one identity, right? Yes, yes. So, so your brand is, is an identity. So th- this was a, a revelation to me in a session because I said, you know, well, so what you're saying is um, – and she was brilliant. And I, I, and I asked, you know, what you're saying is you're having trouble – just maintaining your identity. And she said, you mean identities? Like I I have a whole bunch of them. I have identity traffic in my brain. In other words, I have to be someone with my parents. That's one identity. I'm someone else with my friends that are close. I'm someone else with boys. I'm someone else with my boss and my coach. And and then I come home and I have to be someone else on Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook if I'm part of that. And so I have all these identities. Like a job. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's, it, it, I, I, it got me thinking about the guy in the circus who spins plates mm-hmm. and try, has to go back to the Ooh, first good one analogy. to keep it going. You know what I mean? Like, so you have to keep all these identities going and maintaining. And so you can imagine, like, the idea of just stepping away from it all is unthinkable, you know, because it's like, no, uh, what if I lose one of the identities? One of these might be important to me. One of these might get me where I need to go. And didn't she also say she's not quite sure what her real identity is? She works is her name hard. Katie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I I think she was just like, when it's quiet, who am I? Yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure I want to know that girl. Right. Right, right. So I will watch TV up until the point I fall asleep in order to avoid getting to know, to hear the real me um, that might have criticism yep. of the real me. You know what I mean? So I'd rather maintain these false identities. Some of, some of them, she's well aware. She's like, you know, what I put up on Instagram or the party picture I put up on Snapchat, I gather everybody in there as if it's a much bigger thing. So it looks like something's happening when eh, not much is really happening at all. And a lot of kids tell me that story. Yeah. All right, you mentioned we were talking about sort of uh, putting on the book 8 to 24, right? Yes. Um, one of the things you talk about is the late yeah. And the failure fallacy. Um, why? Why do you think? You know, you talk about George. Why do you think our twenty-somethings are getting stuck in adolescence? Yeah, because um, they they also have empathy. They want to make some impact on the world, and because of identity traffic, what we were just talking about, there's these things. And I think you guys will be familiar with these. This idea of adolescence as being a 
path toward establishing a sense of self separate and apart from mom and dad and some sense of competence and resilience to go out and take on the world. And because there's so much other stuff going on in their minds between 13 and 19 or 8 and 19 – to have that resolved by 19, it just doesn't happen the way it used to anymore. You know, there's too much time left. And, and so they spend part of their 20s trying to resolve adolescent conflicts. The other part is, and I hope I mentioned this in the book or otherwise I need a revision immediately, is that adulting doesn't always look particularly appealing to kids. In other words, like not many kids come to me and say, I want my mom or my dad's life. Oh, right. You know, and so part of it, the call to action for us parents is to model something that looks a little more happy and upbeat, not to walk in the door and say, uh, this stupid job and these bills and this, you know, my boss and, you know, um, and our marriage is stale and all, you know, to, to be so overt about what you don't like about your life. Um, the call to action is kind of like find a life you enjoy, model that so that your kids can kind of follow suit and be excited about the idea of growing up. Because somebody asked me recently about the Peter Pan syndrome, and part of that is <laughs> is just like I, I I'll sit right here because I don't want what you guys have. You know, I'll play Fortnite until I'm fifty before I do before I do that. Right. <laughs> So the book covers a lot of things, alcohol, drugs, video games, sex, porn, lots of things we've talked about, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I wanted to ask a little bit or talk a little bit about the top tier and bottom tier of our kids. You you mentioned that in the book. You call them opt-outs and perfectionists. Can you explain those terms? Yes. Um, So uh, because we want to avoid both. Yes, we we want to avoid both. Um, but it's important to recognize. So our perfectionists are our type A kids who are crushing it in school. They're at the very, very top of their class. They're engaged and involved in everything. Um, there's clearly an in-joke going on. But I, want, <laughs> I definitely want in on uh, But we'll get to that. Um, yeah, and, um, and a lot of parents uh, will say like, um, oh, I'll take that kid. Over my couch potato, right. you know, type Z kid sitting on the s- no, like grass on. is always greener, ain't it? Right, right, right. But but that type A kid is super anxious. You know, like I've worked with that kid over and over again, and there's this perfectionism that says nothing I do is really good enough. Even though the resume looks good, I should up the ante, or I should lose a little bit more weight, or I should be on another team, or take another AP, or whatever. Um, on the other end, you've got these. So a lot of parents would say, "I'll take that kid over mine." Because my kid just sits there, you know. Um, but those opting out kids who um, I'm going to sit down in the basement, I'm going to just hit the vape pen and um, and play the video games or, you know, put up memes on Snapchat. Uh, the assumption is, oh, that kid's disengaged and not really anxious at all. But I would argue that kid's just as anxious um, but recognizes, oh, I can't. I'm not willing to play the game that type A kid is playing. <laughs> I'm not that, right. that that will ruin me. So I'm going to step all the way out. I don't feel any better about my future. I I'm not stupid. I get that this isn't leading anywhere and I don't know how to turn the corner here, but for this moment right now, this is I think the right story for me, you know? So my point the outliers, is outliers aren't they like they're, they're outliers mm-hmm. but but they're outliers but they're squeezing toward the middle a little bit you know okay. what i mean so so that that's middle of the bell curve is pretty slim though that that's like really functioning very nicely and very happy you know i think there's more and more anxious kids than there used to be you talk about attending to your message yeah 
And um, is that something that we do to model for the kids? Do we, you know, when we're talking about anxiety on both sides and squeezing in, yeah. what can we do? What message can we give them that will make the bell go back out? There, there's a couple of them. One is exactly what we were talking about a minute ago, um, you know, that, that where you're headed isn't awful. This adulting thing is great, you know, like, and, and we want to live that. We want to model that. That's some, that's some good news for us, too. And you talk about saying that it's a series of steps, not just one giant one, right? Definitely. You know, that you can say you're not going to be the same thing forever. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, our parents were the same thing forever, you right. know. Um, yeah, and, you're going to have one career and, you know, you'll, you'll die in the same company you yes. started with, right? Yes. Yeah. But we should be telling them that they're going to have many, many incarnations. Yeah. Right? And some of them are, are not even out there yet. You know, that's right. how that's how fast technology and progress is moving. Um, the other messages are um, kind of thinking about what vibe you create in your house. You know, so part of the message is like if you're kids come home and you don't light up for them and you're not excited to see them and happy to see them, right? That's a big deal to them, right? Because they, those seven hours at school, that's a high stress time for them. And so they need some degree of sanctuary. But if it's like, you know, when are you going to get your homework done? Let's get started, you know, and there's no kind of cushion in between. Mm-hmm. We have the ability to provide that cushion, but a lot of us out of our own anxieties are like, you know, we got to get back to it. Let's get, you know, when are we going to get homework done? You know, um, you've got to get to play practice. And so we have a very narrow window here and we panic. And our kids are well aware of our anxieties and how that bleeds into their lives. I've done that. Yesterday, we've all done that. This, this is not. It's important to note. Can I interrupt for a no, second? Of course. That, that this, I, I do not mean to indict any parent. We're all trying our best, but we're adapting to a new playbook. Like the, the the rules have changed really, really quickly. And so, part of the reason I decided to write this, I wasn't that hot to write a book. To be honest with you, I wasn't that interested. I'd written one, um, but was that I think a lot of parents don't know the degree to which things have changed and that their role has to change and adapt as well. Right. Yeah. And it's not awful news. After I read about the lighting up bit, um, when the the kids got in the car and I was like, I missed you. And they're like, you are such a dork. (laughs) I I do that too. But I wanted them to know And they're like, oh my gosh. I know. But don't you think that they're secretly pleased? Probably. Of course. Yeah. Yes. The dork thing, that, that's requisite. That's, the, the kids have to say that yeah, stuff, right? Yeah. But they want to know that we're their soft place to land or we're their safe haven yeah. or we're, we're their home, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. And, and you know, um, another message, thank you for that, because it is um, because I worry about kids' well-being and feeling hopeless, one message we want to give them is, you can talk to me like if math class isn't going well already this year. You can talk to me about that, and we will work this through together. Does that mean I'm going to be the one reaching out and sitting down with a math teacher? No, that's going to be you. But can we talk it through together? Will I sit down and work through some problems with you until we feel like we're – We can we're flush it out together. Yeah. 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 And, and that means a lot to kids too, knowing like, okay, I've got an ally here because – there's, there is something a little binary about parenting right now, whereas if you're not truly an ally, kids will see you as an adversary and work around you. You know what I mean? And they'll talk to their friends instead of talking to you when something goes wrong. You talk in the book a little bit about the changing role of dads, which is really fun and timely because I just was reading some articles about like dads today spend three times more time with their kids than the generation before. Yep. What have you seen 
happening over the last couple of years. So, you know, with uh, with with um, women's marches and the Me Too movement and all these things that have happened, um, there is this opportunity for dads. And I, I've seen some dads step up. I um, uh, with Todd Adams from Zen Parenting Radio, who you guys I assume know. Yeah. Um, he, he and I led a um, just a workshop, and it was really just a broad discussion. Um, because we have really strong feelings about the role dads need to play, dads of sons and dads of daughters, about all of this. And so we thought, well, let's get a bunch of guys together. Maybe we'll get five. Maybe we'll get ten. We got 80 guys mm. in a room. I, we couldn't believe it. And they were all deeply invested in, like, what messages do we need to give our kids? And how do we do that? And how do we – like, with our boys, like, how can we deliver a message that suggests – be soft and sensitive and gentle and still be tough and a guy. And, you know, like, and we, so we kind of worked that through. Um, but the, the nature of fatherhood can change from, I don't know what your dads were like, but my dad was the stoic guy. He was the, you know, wait till your dad gets home. Oh, yeah, I'm afraid of that. You know, like, and I like to think that, you know, um, if somebody had said that to my son George 10 years ago when he was 13, he'd be like, yeah, okay. I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm looking forward to that. that yeah. That'll be good. That's good news for me. Um, because, again, we fathers don't need to be iron fisted. You know what I mean? Like that kind of parenting, I think, is over, you know, I, I, and, and served no purpose really to begin with. We don't need our kids to be any more afraid than they already are. Right. Yeah. And I think right. dads can play a really powerful role just in how they treat their partners. So Tracy and I have more iron fists than our, <clears throat> yeah. our partners do. And um, I got to <laughs> say, like, finding the right spouse or partner is, is key because I can be very much rigid. And then my husband comes and makes a joke, you know, yeah. or he, you know, or like if the kids hurt themselves, like, oh, I hurt my finger and I'm all over it. Like, oh, and, 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 you know, my husband will say, you want me to cut that off? And I'm like, what? <laughs> but, you know, he shocks us all into taking ourselves less seriously. Right. And, uh, and um, I, so when you mentioned Peter Pan earlier, I was wondering, because I feel like I married Peter Pan. Um, he, he's fun dad. He's, he's the adventurer. He's the one that does and is really involved in like the Pied Piper. Like at a, just he, right? When we all like go he, out. It's like, like he has uh, bacon in his pants. <laughs> <laughs> that was weird, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, that sounded weird, but um, yeah, he's just definitely. So if they said wait till dad comes home, unless it was a b- hot button that they knew that that would be something that would set him off. Like to, generally speaking, they're like, okay, yeah, fine. that'd be great, no big deal, right, right, yeah. right. No, and I like the idea of balance. You know what I mean? And I, all, I like the idea of mixing gender roles up a little bit you know what i mean so this idea that you know something is women's work and something is men's work i like that we're starting to blend that all together i hope more and more families are doing that where anybody can do anything and then kids more more and more are willing believe it or not to do what they're asked to do in families where that happens where that is not clearly delineated but like Everybody here is competent. Everybody here is capable. So whoever's around is going to be asked to take out the garbage or do the dishes. And this isn't a, this isn't driven down the gender line. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So I, we, I think we've gone longer than we usually do. But so, um, so thank you so much, Dr. John Duffy, author of The Available Parent and now Parenting the New Teen in the Age of Anxiety. Um, we, we could talk to you all the time. I, yeah. I would love that. Thank you for having me, guys. This has been fun.
So apparently, we need to learn more about our kids. Starting early. Yeah. Um, And we shouldn't expect it to be easy, but it's a process and a dialogue and a process. um, And it's our job. Yeah. And um, one thing I loved was the idea that they might not respond right away, that we need to keep trying until the dialogue starts. And then just continue it because we've talked about this with the quote sex talk you know it's going to be a lot of not one conversation right lots of lots of them we'd love to hear from you about you and your teen or tweens no if if we've got tweens anymore (laughs) yeah exactly give us a call at 331-704-0046 like us on facebook and leave us a review on itunes And tell the parents in your life to listen and suggest topics to us. That would be great. That would be. This is a WGN Plus podcast. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Thanks for listening to Apparently. We make it look easy.